just had this burning desire inside for more. Uh, Maya Angelou, she said, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. Stability, the podcast hosted by Hassan. Ash. So let's get started from your early life. Like how, what was, what was um, Elizabeth like in high school and thinking of dreams? Like what were your big dreams coming out and where are you from? What do you do? Oh, actually, no, first of all, let's introduce you. Like, who are you? Okay. I get my, right. I get my guests to introduce themselves because I feel like okay. they can help themselves a little bit more and then I can just, you know, sprinkle it on top. Well, I'm curious where, which room did you hear me in? We were, we met in a room in, I, on Clubhouse. I met you in the room for sustainability. Yeah, sustainability. Look at you. I know. You have some dreams in there too. So, um, yeah, you know, I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, other than happy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, because, you know, my all my handles are Yoder Cinna, you know, as in cinema. Um, but even as a multi award winning international makeup artist, I was a makeup artist, educator, uh, model, actor. I was so frustrated and unfulfilled, and I just had this burning desire inside for more. Uh, Maya Angelou, she said, "There is no greater agony than." bearing an untold story inside of you. And I'm a survivor of unresolved grief. I witnessed my father um, be killed by a drunk driver. And that pain was compounded by severe physical and psychological abuse. I was raised in um, extreme right-wing religious cult. So... For many years, I felt like the Tin Man in Wizard of Oz, just banging around life, you know, all shiny on the outside as a model, as an actress, you know, I look pretty, but inside I felt hollow and my broken heart, like knew in the deepest night of my soul, I knew that one day I would be telling stories somehow, somewhere. And I just kept taking that next step. So I began to write and produce films that were inspired by life's dark grit and shit. I turned that shit, shit into fertilizer so I could grow and I could tell these stories. Yeah. And <laughs> to date, my films have um, received 17 awards and 16, nomina 16 nominations. And, um, you know, that's all a result of my trials and struggles. And we all have our struggles that we come through and but as a film director i'm now able to make an impact through elevating hope through the power of telling transformative stories so i really like to get down dirty and gritty in my films and go dark i'm not afraid of it because i've been there in the dark spaces and the dark places i'm comfortable with it but i also know that there's a moment in time when you make a choice there's a choice to be had you make that shift to choose life. Yeah, I definitely did not, yeah. that, but I, I will. No, a lot of your projects I saw on your thing, they, they look like they have a lot of deep meaning. A lot of people don't go into stuff deep unless they've been there. 
and done it mm-hmm. and like listening to what your first part of you had to say was like wow you know okay so she has been there she's done it she experienced it so she knows how to portray it for people to watch it to understand what is happening that's really hard like even as a person who's trying to create a book writing some kind of material to show the world what they want to portray it's hard if you haven't been there so i think like mm-hmm. even when you look back why do you think artists went to the place that they wanted to paint they sat there for hours contemplating what it looks like what it feels like what you know what they feel like and that's how they portray their art is what they felt and what they saw is their perspective of it exactly and they can't exactly. do that without seeing the place itself before right you can't you can't paint the eiffel tower if you haven't seen the eiffel tower because mm-hmm. you and you can't paint it well if you haven't felt like what it feels like sitting in front of the Eiffel Tower, watching it as the people walk by, as as the Eiffel Tower shines and glimmers in the sunlight, right? And that yes. doesn't happen until you see it yourself, right? That is a great analogy. So I want to go to Paris. So I haven't seen it yet. And if I want to draw the Eiffel Tower, I have to go see the Eiffel Tower. But yeah. I'm a horrible artist, so that will not happen. Um, <laughs> Even you could have pictures of it, you know, visual pictures of it. And sometimes, you know, as storytellers or as visual storytellers, people who haven't had necessarily the same experiences that I've had or that my stories tell, you can, the power of cinema, take people on an emotional journey. But say you're just looking at the picture of the Eiffel Tower, you could draw it, but you probably will have a different experience once you go and you taste, you climb those stairs and you, you know, have that experience in person. It's a totally different atmosphere. That's a totally different perspective that you get on what you're trying to draw, what you're trying to make, what you're trying to portray. So that's definitely out there. One thing I'm curious about, like what are some of your challenges that you've had to overcome and how did you overcome them? Oh, this is an interview with me now? Oh, no, this is not, not what I did. Oh, no, good. No worries. I didn't expect it. I was waiting to ask. My, okay. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, definitely. So I grew up in a small town. Like I grew up in a different country. So I'm from I'm Pakistani by nationality. So I immigrated to Canada. So I'm I'm Canadian citizen. Like I've lived yeah. in Canada for 15 years of my life. And uh, I grew up in a small town of 800 people. It's called Hamiota, Manitoba. If you ever want to search it up, and it's 800 people. And I moved wow. there when I was in grade three. And mm-hmm. you have to realize I'm the only person of an ethnic background that isn't Caucasian in this small town and for a 90 kilometer radius this close in Canada in Canada, in Canada. In Canada. Mm-hmm. so there is a 90 kilometer radius where there's no one else that looks like me talks like me or even follows the same religion as me and as I come from a background of a very religious family that went to a mo- live in this small town it was very tough I think I found it like it was yeah. tough and challenging terms. people don't realize is that it's tough right because you, they don't understand where you're coming from they don't understand your perspectives they don't understand mm-hmm. who you are because you look different you talk different right. you smell different mm-hmm. you, you eat different things and all this stuff which is yeah. now in the 21st century that we're coming in or the 20th century people realize how much of a good thing that is a lot yes. of people realize oh different is good but even back in 2010, the past 10 years, has a lot has changed in the past 10 years. When I moved there, yeah. it was 2010. And I'm telling you, that was a totally different vibe. It was a totally different atmosphere at that time because people were still skeptical of all this stuff. Islamophobia was a big yes. thing. 9-11 had just happened. It was mm-hmm. still recent, like nine years. That's still recent, right? So a lot of this, uh, a lot of... Um, there was still a lot of stereotypes around, you know, people of, like Muslim backgrounds, people of... Uh, uh, ethnic background from Pakistan, like Asia and all that stuff. So there's still stuff like that there. And so I think 
as a kid, I was only I was only in grade three. So and I'm just yeah. a person. You feel pers- everything. You absorb everything. Yeah. The thing is that like it's around me, but I didn't take mm-hmm. it to heart because I'm only a kid. I'm innocent. I, I don't understand yeah. what these adults are talking about. I don't understand why these kids hate me. I don't understand why these parents don't yes. interact with my parents. I don't understand why people look at my mom the way they look at or why they look at me the way they look at because it's yeah. right. You're just like, oh, it's just a normal thing, right? For me, it was normal, right. normality. And I think that happens to all of us of all yeah. of us that are not white and even people that are white, it happens to them too because when people of Caucasian descent go to a different place that isn't filled with uh, a Caucasian like perspective, they need to bring in that perspective. They need to bring that ideology be like, hey, we're not all the same that you think. We're not all haters about uh, like immigrants mm-hmm. or something like that. And I think it's a, it goes both ways. So I think yeah. having, having realized that at a very young age that it goes both ways, it's not just one way, I think helped mm-hmm. me realize that a lot of stuff that people say is out of ignorance, out of their own uh, mind that they don't realize what the truth is. And yeah. it, it just made me feel a lot better. And I don't think I've ever been saddened by anything. I've never been traumatized by anything, thankfully. Mm-hmm. But I know there's people that, out there that are, but I personally have yeah. attacked that way. So I've been grateful in that terms. So I've been able to like grow and learn. And so it's been mm-hmm. a very interesting aspect. So I think that being an immigrant in a country filled with a lot of, in areas filled with a lot of Caucasians and like um, being a minority, I think that was my hardest hardship. And still, yeah. to this day, I'm still trying to be ahead of people because a lot of people doubt me still. So I'm still trying to yeah. overcome, you know, the doubts and the haters yeah. of people. I think- Well, there are always going to be doubters and haters. And the thing that I've learned is that self-trust and self, um, the conversations that we give ourselves and having that confidence in yourself. And it sounds like you've had that since young age. You were able to differentiate between, they're just, they just don't know, they're ignorant. I went through similar, not based on the color of my skin, but based upon, in in the white, female, oh God, under under that religious persecution too, the female was the weaker sex. Um, It was so frustrating. But also inside of the school system, so there was always like, I could, we moved around a lot. So I could see, I could see the jocks, Mm -hmm. you know, the sports, they were cool because they were good, you know, sports people, or I could see the, (laughs) cheerleaders that they were their little clicks and I could yeah. see the nerds that all kind of went together and I could see the ones that were kind of like on the outside and so I just school, wanted everybody to get along. So high school and, musical really clicked with you. <laughs> just, I, could, I could see all of the yeah, different yeah. things going and I knew I could go anywhere I wanted to because my heart is just open. I love people yeah. and I know that I, I can go talk to anybody. Um, and, but I would go and I would kind of take care of like, even with puppies, I would choose puppies that were like the runts of the litter because I wanted them to be included. So I would go make friends with the the nerds or the not so popular and try to bring them into the fold. But then the popular kids didn't like that. And then they were just try to like snub me or because I wasn't wearing this or I wasn't wearing that. I'm like, oh, you're going to judge me because I'm wearing a t-shirt that's not from like I don't know, guess or something, please. I'm more than the threads on my back. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And I think that I think that ideology still exists to some extent. As as we're getting as we're getting into yeah. the age of social media 
And when social media first started, it was big. Like uh, there was cyberbullying. There was like all this awareness. It's like, hey guys, you need. To, and I remember, I think I was in grade eight and nine. That, I think seven, eight, nine, six. Like when people were just like, you know, be aware of social media. Don't get your kids mm-hmm. on there. You know, there's cyberbullying. People were committing suicides and stuff over it. And it was like yeah. big at that time, right? And I think as I'm getting older, I realized it's how you behave on social media isn't necessarily what you are in person because you can't mm-hmm. see what's behind the screen, right? When you're out yeah. on text, right? And it's tough because bullying existed in the grounds at the time, but now bullying exists over the internet and they can get you anywhere you are around the world. Nice. And, I, and I think it's getting better. I a lot personally I'm seeing it's getting better. I don't think I hear I hear less about cyberbullying than I do lately. I think it, the words just change to haters online. I think it just changed to haters. I think that's what the words become instead of cyberbullying. Yeah. But I think there it's getting better, but I think for cuz I'm not young anymore, so I don't really interact with kids that are in high elementary school. So I don't really understand what's happening in that area group, but I yeah. think but I think adults, and I think I get that now as a, as a person who's 20 and like going to university and all this, I think I understand what the elementary school kids are going through because I don't have time for them. And I understand they don't have, and now I understand the perspective of why when mm-hmm. I was in elementary school and I wanted to talk to someone older, like a kid older than me and to learn more from them, they didn't have time for me. It's like, oh, they're busy with their own life. And now mm-hmm. they're all just coming into a full cycle. And you have younger brothers and sisters? They're all a year younger than me. So like oh, yeah. I was 19, my sister's 18. So at this point, uh-huh. it really, it doesn't, it's like we're like one year apart from each other. They're right back. It's yeah. Exactly. So we're all like together <laughs> this whole time. Your inner child. Exactly. I'm going to be a child. Yeah, let like your inner day. child play. Kids are great in that that regard. I have 25 nieces and nephews. Holy and yeah, wow. five brothers, wow. one sister. And um, I am the favorite. Aunt, I think. I'm, I'm sure. You are. I'm <laughs> well, I sure spoil you are. them. I spoil them. I spoil them. Twenty-five, uh, holy. 25 nieces and nephews. Yeah. So I love kids, and uh, they're great. No, they're definitely, and I love how innocent they are. Though the innocence is what it is. Like they'll see, they'll see you, and they won't have yeah. any judgment of you. The only thing they're gonna yeah. judge you on is what you're wearing, bro. Are you it's, really wearing that? Like, yeah, and it's all that. learned. It's all learned, right? And I think it's the people you keep company around. Like, I think my parents taught me in a way is like, you know, respect everyone, you know, don't judge anyone based upon like first glance, like, because you don't want people judging you on based on first glance. And my parents like, you know, you talk a lot. People are going to judge you right away. I'm like, yeah, I know. But they're like, exactly. So don't do the same thing with other people. And I was like, you know, you're right. So I think I've just learned the hard way. It's like, you know, don't judge anyone. Just, you know, and it's easier yeah. way. I mean, I learned it the easy way. I learned it from my parents, which is a lot nicer. And a lot of people don't get that chance just to learn it from their parents because their parents were taught something different. Their parents were taught something different. Mm-hmm. So it's a very generational thing. Yeah. Uh, and with each generation, I think, uh, well, I hope to make the world a better place or mm-hmm. to do things differently. Like, so my mom got stuck inside of this severe, I mean, extreme right-wing religion, like, I wasn't allowed to have a television. We didn't have a TV. I wasn't allowed to listen to like rock and roll. That was the devil's music. Um, even you going in a grocery are, store. Were you Mormon uh, by any chance? Um, so my mom was Amish and my Amish, sorry, that's what yeah, no, it's okay. There's Mormons that are yeah. also like that. So she was raised Amish um until she was about 
16 and then they went into the Mennonite because uh, they wanted to have um, cars. Uh-huh. So, and then the Amish ousted them because once you start going modern, you're going the way of the world and you're taking things that are distracting you from God. So then the Mennonite, that's where she met my father. But by the time I was born, the Baptists had come around knocking on doors, selling salvation. Like you can know for sure 100% you're going to heaven. And she was like, really? Sign me up. Mm-hmm. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven because the Amish and the Mennonite believe you have to earn your way. And she just knew she could never be good enough. Yeah. So by the time I was born, um, actually, we um, she, they went into the Baptist because they're by the blood of Jesus, you're covered and mm-hmm. you can go to heaven. But she was still so indoctrinated that she had to earn her way. So she told me she went and interviewed 20 churches in the neighborhood. She had her little checklist, like, okay, I need this, I need this, I need that, you know, no TV, no radio, no makeup, no cutting your hair, you know, we had to stay six inches apart from boys, you know, no co-mingling, anything like that, we play or whatever, but, um, but it was so restrictive and oppressive, um, I don't know where I was going with that. I, I think I think so. Religion is like religion is a very like sensitive topic. I think for a lot of people, and it's mm-hmm. tough because there's a lot of religions out there. And I respect every religion. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like I respect all religions. I think anyone that believes in something, there's definitely probably something there, right? Like you believe in your work, you believe in this. Like believing in something that's, I think everyone has the right to believe in what they believe, and yeah. they have, and they, mm-hmm. and no one has the right to tell them they shouldn't believe in them. And I think the ideology when it comes to religion, because I'm a geek when it comes to history and religion and all that. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan because I come from a religious background, right? And, yeah. and and being around people that are Christian, Mennonites, and being a Muslim, I've learned a lot from people. And I think a lot of these religious backgrounds all have the same kind of ideology, but I yeah. think everyone's taking it to their own perspective. And that's I know, that's the same yeah. thing as when you look at the image, uh, like the Mona Lisa, right? Some people see Leonardo da Vinci had painted himself. Some people see a beautiful woman. Some people believe that he did this. Some people believe it. Like when you look, and then it's like the same thing as looking at a picture. Religion is a picture. It's just beautiful on its own. But when you start looking at it deeper and deeper, people realize what the beauty of it is on their on themselves, right? They, mm-hmm. they believe this is what's beautiful about this picture, but they believe this is beautiful about this, right? So everyone takes it in their own way, which is perfectly fine. I think, I think it's bad when people start putting that religion on other people, start putting those on other people. And it's like, no, that's that's the whole basis of Christianity. I mean, it's written in the doctrine that Jesus is the way, the only way, and few there be that go there by, well, in the Jewish text, that's the same thing written in the Muslim text. But I think the people that, a lot of stuff back in the day was different, right? Back, go go a few hundred years ago, a few, a few thousand years ago, when these were so relevant. Like the the don't take me wrong, the text I believe the texts are relevant today, but I think you need to you need to take it and you need to put it in the modern era. You cannot take those texts and put it into an era back in the day when there was no planes, there was no trains, there was the only way to get around was a horse or by walking, and like mm-hmm. and and you know and people had to protect themselves all 
always having a sword on. Men were dominant. Women didn't have any rights. Women stayed at home. Like, and not going to lie, back in the day when I read about uh, stories from my, like, these texts, women weren't as weak as they were portrayed in these texts. There's so many stories where women had a lot of power. Women were bosses. Women had businesses that I don't realize people portrayed. It's all a mechanism for control. That's the thing is that there are some beautiful elements in religion. Like if everybody just followed, I mean, Jesus was known to be a friend to quote unquote sinners. You know, he said, treat others as you would be treated. If we just follow that, treat others as you want other people to treat you. But they don't. They, there's rules and regulations to control the masses, to control the minds. Because if I can control your mind, I don't need to put you in prison. And so there's a lot of that that takes place inside of it. And and also it's passed on from generation to generation. So they don't even realize it. A lot of them don't even realize it. Because they don't question it. How do you question it? Like yeah. you can't question. No, your parent. You ask a question, your parents are like, "Oh, are you sinning? Like, are you diverting from your right path?" It's like, no. You're, as a kid, you're told to question everything, and if you don't yeah. question it, how are you supposed to learn? How are you supposed to find your own path? I think the best way for a person to realize what they believe in is to question mm-hmm. everything, then make mistakes. The more mistakes you make, the more you realize the path that you were mm-hmm. on before was the more accurate one, and then you divert back to it, and you become a lot stronger yeah. in what you believe. And I think mm-hmm. this way we're going to divert into your career because I feel like that's how your career started. Uh, yes. So let's, uh, and um, so you said you did modeling. When was this? Like, so cosmetic and modeling, how did that come about? Oh, yes. Um, so when I ran away from home because of the religion, the religious abuse, right. um, I went into, so because I was raised like, separate from the modern world. I now found myself in this modern world, like trying to survive and keep a roof over my head. So I went into modeling and um, did print modeling, did some runway modeling. And um, there was just always a drive like for more. So while I was modeling, I was also studying, like looking for the meaning of life for me, my truth. So I studied all the different religions. Actually, I studied Eastern, Western. I studied chakras, auras, and just trying to find answers and like putting it all together. So modeling, and then that led into commercial work, taking um, commercial acting classes. And then um, my started doing behind the scenes as well working um, as a makeup artist and hair because I have my cosmetology um, license. Uh, license. You know, as an actor, model, things aren't always necessarily studied. Um, so I, I did that, um, learned uh, hair and makeup. And then that grew into, um, I tried out as an international, for the international team as a makeup and hair artist. So I started traveling around teaching other people how to do hair, other makeup artists, how to do like the newest trends this season. We would launch every spring and summer. We would launch the different um, palettes of color that would go along with, you know, the things you see in fashion magazines, the colors of the season. And also the reason behind everything had um, a reason and a motivation. So, um, that was a lot of fun. And that's what brought me out to Woodland Hills is um, Truco 
International, Sebastian International is located out in Woodland Hills. Although I didn't need to move out here, but I always knew one day I would move to California. I was fascinated with California as a little girl in Texas. I would just stare and almost like try to time travel into the map. I was like, I could feel something was there. I'm like, what's there? What's there? And it was me. It was me in the future because uh, I lived in Texas then. Um, and then um, now I'm in Los Angeles, California. So on the weekends, I would travel, do these um, uh, conventions. I was a platform artist. I would public speak in front of three, 400 huge conventions wow. down to smaller, where I would tra travel to smaller regions, um, train the salons in the area about the new collections. And then during the week, I was studying like an Olympic athlete at the Playhouse West um, in the Valley. Um, it's a great uh, theater training. It's based in Meisner training, Jeff Goldblum, uh, James Franco, um, Ashley Judd comes out of there. So I did my research and when going there, it was really like finding my creative family. It was very, um, very much like therapy for me and in, in the type of training, because you had to really dig and get to know yourself. What are the things that really matter to me so that I could, as I'm translating and characters from paper onto the stage and then from the stage, I would take it and film those things and translate it into film. So then I would get the full gamut because we'd work for, you know, a couple of months on one scene from a play. And, um, and that's where I got my training. And that's where I met Alina Patra, who we used to rehearse and train together like three, four times a week. We'd get together for several hours and train and work on things. Um, and I just kept saying to her, Alina, we have to make films. Alina, we have to make films. We can't just keep doing this. We need to make films. So we started, um, actually it was in 2008. I went and got my first um, package, uh, camera package, lighting package. And I made my first documentary because while I was still studying, I was still resolving my unresolved grief. And I got to a point, um, so I was at studying at Landmark Education as well, which is um, a self-help type of thing where you, actually it would happen to me growing up and I saw all along my life how I had made choices. Mm -hmm. Um, and I forgot about those choices along the way and then how it impacted me. I could see how it impacted me when I was 18, 25. I was like, oh, oh my God, we are so powerful as creators. We, it's just what we put in our minds, what we say to ourselves, the words that come out of our mouths, we create worlds that way. And that translates to screenwriting when you're writing a script, like you're literally creating a world. And that's our choices. We're literally creating our world. We, we are powerful creators. And so um, I went to find the man, the drunk driver, because I was always asking, is he alive? Is he dead? Did he do it again? Does he care? Does he not care? Does he have kids of his own? Does he have family? And so I, I had to go, it wasn't forgiving him 
It was that I needed to give to myself, that I am forgiving to myself the life of joy and peace and happiness that I truly desire. So when I lay my head on my pillow at night, that I can sleep in peace. Because um, that's what forgiveness is to me. It's just something I do for myself, not for somebody else. So that's what I learned. So I went and found him. And um, I can send you the link uh, to the documentary. And that's the yeah, audio. Yeah, I'd love to watch that. Yeah, I might watch audio that recording. Yeah, um, of when I actually talked to him for the first time, and at the time I was still learning to direct. It was my first, you know, camera and lights and stuff. So I had a friend of mine. I was like, "Come on, you got to direct this for me." And so she. directed this and produced it led to another project and um, so then I had emerging which is a short film about breaking through because as a model right as an actress we're you know taught like I mean just it's all surface right but I'm more than just this image you know there's deeper parts of me that runs so deep our souls are the part of us that are unseen runs so deep that um, so in this film, she wants to be recognized um, for more than just the surface reality. So it's called the emerging. And that one was the first film. And prior to that one, we did some shorts, just trying to testing out our skills and telling stories. Alina had written some short comedy stuff. Um, one, it was a great one called Das Casting. She's German. Right. So it's just a comedy, a spoof. Uh, it was a lot of fun. She's a great comedy actress, a little dry humor. And then um, from the emerging, I submitted into festivals. That was one of the first ones I submitted into a festival. And the director of the festival um, at the after party, I got to talking with him. And um, he was like, so what happens next, you know, after the, after that story? Right. I said, well, let's talk about it. So we got together within a week yeah. and we started writing. We started hashing out ideas based on his life because he lost his father when he was 14. I lost my father when I was 11. And uh, so we told the story inspired by um, losing. So I played Grace in the film. Right. He directed the film. We both worked on the story. He did the actual writing, and the story was inspired by the the two of us together combining our stories that we took the real life. And then um, in the story, Grace goes with a gun to kill the man yeah. who killed her father. Um, and that's all I'm going to say. But that's not what happened in real life. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> I, hope, I, I hope that did not happen in real life because <laughs> I would I I'd be harboring a fugitive in my podcast and that's not what I want. No, no, no. no, no, no. But, so the great thing about cinema is that you take stories and you create uh, really, I like to really take, you know, inspired by life, but then add maybe a little bit more cinematic things. So it's inspired by, there's elements that you know, run deep. You, mean, uh -huh. you need the dramatic effect, right? If it wouldn't be theater, yeah. it would be dramatic. Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. not cinema if it's not fake a little bit. You gotta you gotta fake some stuff here and there, you know. You gotta yeah. you gotta, gotta make it more spicier. Uh, well, so how how long after your dad passed away did you meet this uh, confront the drunk driver? Um. So 
it was probably 30 years later. That's why I'm saying I suffered long-term right. prolonged grief, unresolved grief. Um, so I started to resolve those things. Yeah. And this that was one of the last things that I kind of completed. In and, that, the, in and, that the link, and the link to this documentary is public, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I will definitely put that in my description for anyone that wants to watch it because I'm going to watch it. So I'll, mm -hmm. put that, I'll put that in the description when I do post this episode, just for people sure. that are interested in understanding what did ha take place because I'm, I'm interested now. I want to know if you actually took a gun or not because I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> Uh, so, so I can send you the link to both actually, cause yeah. I can send you the link to the documentary and then I can send you a link to, uh, the long wait is, um, the film. Let's see. I looked up cause I was like, how many awards did that film? The long wait won six awards and seven nominations for wow. best director, best short film, best actor, best actress storytelling achievement award wow that's a lot um so, what, mm -hmm. what festivals were these at so you, do you guys do you, do you guys just hand these into festivals and see how they perform or do people nominate you guys for them well that's a whole art in and of itself oh, okay. um even just getting into a festival was a hard, huge yeah. can be a huge challenge well it's it's hard it's if you have good storytelling, if you, if you craft it, like I didn't submit some of my early stuff cause I knew it wasn't like, good. I didn't want to waste yeah. my, you know, it's like 60 bucks yeah. to entry fees. Some are a hundred bucks, depending they have early entry fees. They have like, they have the early bird entry fees, which are more like $45. Yeah. So you can go on to film freeway and you'll, you'll select, you'll filter out the festivals that are. So like the ones coming up, the feature film I'm doing, I'm already been researching festivals, yeah. um, for thriller genre for female driven genres. Um, and then ones that are in like the top 100 list, mm -hmm. um, festivals around nationwide. So you want to be selective, um, and then find festivals that are in the same genre and then um, submit it. You get in. That's can be an, an a, that's thing. just a win right there. And winning uh, and winning it alone is just another huge cherry on top. Because yeah. you're filtering down from. I was told there was like maybe I don't know one festival like 1,200 films that were submitted, and then they only accept like maybe 60 films, and then from those 60, they hand out the one award. It's like it's uh, like. It's like going back. It's like trying to apply for university all over again. It's, mm -hmm. it's trying to get. It's like trying to get into Harvard at this point. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> what was yes. the what was the difference between your award winning films and the ones that did not win any awards? Well, I would say I didn't submit to the festivals any of the ones that didn't win awards. Yeah. Um, I think. The one film uh, emerging that I met the film the director, director, I mean, the director of the film festival, and then we created the next film. Um, I was still building my confidence as a filmmaker. Um, and I also didn't want to put my money into something I wasn't a hundred percent behind. Um, it, I would kind of be like putting something out that I wasn't like, I have to put this out. Mm -hmm. You know, no, I so yeah. I needed to cry a little bit more. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't put any of those things out. And then, um, yeah. What, what's the, 
Yeah, that's it. Ah, uh, what's what's the big secret behind you know the 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 success in the industry of filmmaking and acting and modeling and you know even a lot of cosmetology? Can you tell co- me? Huh? Pardon? You tell me. Oh, I, I have you no tell idea. Me. I have no success. I don't have any idea either. I yeah. think it's something like my one of my mentors told me this. Like, there's many trains have already left the station. All right. So you need to get your crew together, create your own train and leave the station. And that's what I've done with um, building the crew uh, with Alina as my main one. Then we have uh, another Paul Allen who's come on as a cinematographer. He's been developing those skills over time and we work together and we invest our blood, our sweat, our tears, our money, you know, into creating these things um, that we have our, passion projects that are kind of like a portfolio, you know, Mm -hmm. there are our work, our calling card. And um, I've probably been in other people's films, my own films over like a hundred, you know, short films. But now this is my first feature. And the thing is that each one is like a snowball, right? It just gains more momentum going downhill, just growing more momentum you're picking up you you're learning from you meet somebody new at a festival you create a new relationship it's really about creating relationships because for every no i heard somebody say this on clubhouse you're when you get a no in sales there's you're gonna get so many no's right right it's just a sign that people are they're still getting to know you right no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, know, no, that no. makes sense. Yeah. Because they're still getting to know you. Right. They're still getting to know you. And that means it just said you need to build relationships. Build relationships. And also, if you don't go fishing, you're never gonna catch are you gonna catch are no. you gonna catch a fish? No. So that's the latest thing with this feature film. Like I'm looking at a budget that I need to direct this film and I'm just like, dang. So what's okay. the difference between a featured film and not a featured film? Uh, a feature film is 90 minutes or more. Right. But each, I think each festival might do, some might call like a long format film, maybe 40, 40 minutes even, but just each, each festival is different. But a feature is like, a, usually a like, it's a whole movie, yeah. Where a short film could be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes or so. Maybe even up to 40 minutes. And they're a lot cheaper and a lot easier to compile. And it takes a lot less time because 90 minutes is, and that's like two, three months of shooting alone, like trying it to get actually, everything you want. Yeah, it, it actually can take a while, but the key is having your script really um, refined before you start shooting. Right. And mm-hmm. that, it, it takes years to get a feature film off the ground alone. Just to get, so you must be working on, on this for a while then, or still are. At this point. Well, yes, we're, um, Alina wrote it in uh, the last year during quarantine. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm actually enrolled at UCLA. I'm taking a um, pre-production production class from a producer's standpoint, learning how to package the film because it's really raising the bar for myself in my craft. I've always kind of, when I was younger, I was like, Oh, I just want to create art. I don't want to know about the business. Now I'm like, I need to know the business so I can have my art, you know, keep the roof over my head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And have more people see my films. So the thing is, so, um, 
if if for example someone comes up to you and they're like what advice would you give me right now if i want mm-hmm. to be a successful i don't call cos- it seems like you're a very successful cosmetologist and you had a successful modeling career and yes. you know and and now you're somehow creating your own success in the industry I'm, of filming and so yeah. what would you tell if for example a 5 year old not 5 year old kid but like an elementary school or a high school kid comes up to you and be like hey you know i'm looking to get into these careers how do i get yeah. about just getting started? Well, first of all, you have to define success for yourself, right? Right. Uh, First and foremost, for me, since I was young, was I want to be happy when I grow up. So I've worked on that. Have you achieved that? Have you achieved the happiness that you aimed for? What I've learned is happiness is a choice, Right. okay? I have ice cream right here. It's vanilla or chocolate. Which one do you want? See, I'm not you want happy. chocolate I or want both of them. I want both. Choose. Here, here you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's really, it's really, I learned for me that it's a choice. Like literally it's a choice. And also if you do an exercise, okay, focus on something that, you know, like really upsets you right. and focus it on for like 20 minutes and then 20, 20 seconds, even just 20 seconds, not 20 minutes, 20 seconds you'll start feeling emotions and then shift, shift your thought to something that brings you joy. Could be a cat, could be a dog and think about it and focus on it, smell it, taste it, whatever, 20 seconds. And you'll start feeling your emotions shift. So we had to become, my brothers were like military. So I put a little military version of myself dressed in Marine outfit and everything sword. And I was fighting my thoughts because things can become habits. So we have to create new habits, create new grooves in our brain. And literally I was whatever it could be for you, but I was like that military thing, you know? And sometimes, sometimes I don't catch myself or I'm like, Oh wait, what am I doing here? And then you got to shift. And then the other thing too is your body language. It's kinesthetic in your body. When you're depressed, how's your, how is your posture? Not good. It's horrible. How do you sit usually? Where's your head? Where? You... Oh, it's down. Tell me, tell me if you're depressed, how, how do you sit? Depressed? Like this, yeah. like down. Like when I'm happy, I'm like up here. Yeah. But when I'm down, yeah. it's down here. So the world can't exactly. see me. And when you're feeling on top of the world and how's your breathing also when you're, when you're down and depressed, you're like, I think, you know what? I've never actually thought about it. I think it's a lot heavier. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more heavier. It's a lot more size. I think I'll probably do five or six more size than I normally do. So I think it's a lot, it's a lot more of that. And it's a lot more, it's not calm. It's not calm breathing. That's yeah. Weird. Yeah. And when you've achieved something and you're feeling like Superman, yeah. How are you standing? How are chest, you sitting? How out. are you breathing? Chest is always out. If you're, How are you breathing? How are you like? Like everything feels so, nice and comfortable. Yeah. So what you can do, the other thing you can do, you trick your emotions. Trick, it's a tool. that. So if you're feeling depressed, you can change also simply by your physical emotion. Emotions follow motion. So get into motion. Go for a jog do something, start jumping up and down and celebrating for no reason, you know? Uh, So that's another thing, little tricks and little things that I do to kind of shake myself out of when I get into spaces. Cause I'm human. I still have 
um, things that I go through, you know, actually this last year was pretty rough. Probably. I had, um, so I had, a. let me just share with you yeah. something of quote unquote door closed. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I applied for the American film Institute women's directing program. There were 600 applicants. Wow. I got, and then they narrow it down to 50. I got into the top 50 and then they narrow it down to 20. I didn't make it into that 20, right. but I applied again the next year. I got into the top 50. I got into the top 20. I was like, mm, yes, <laughs> Almost there. yes, yes. Yeah. And then I didn't get it. I went into the in-person interview and then I got the phone call that said, yeah. uh, but they invited me to, to come back and, um, and apply again. But I'm, I need to do something amazing before I do that right. and something bold and brave. And that's what this feature film is for me. And who knows? Uh, my friend's like, well, no, it wasn't a door closing. It just, you know, the universe is telling you, no, that's not where, you know, you need right. to flow this way. So I need to flow this way. It's like a, uh, real, it's it's a, like a railway track, right? Like when you're going, there's diversions, right? But the train always yeah. ends up in the same place. You can take that route, that route, but it always comes yeah. back. Because maybe if, if it really is in your future, you'll end up in the same, in front of the same door that you wanted to before. So yeah. that's how I think about it. And it's very good way to think about it. I like that. I, um, it took me a while. It, it like really took the wind out of my cells and I had to reassess like, what am I doing? What am all this, you know, what, what's going on? Uh, so, um, that's something that I came through that was a challenge in my career. But the thing is, is that, you know, that we keep going. And keep connecting to what I know my truth is. And what I know my truth is, is that I'm really great at, at telling stories that have an impact on people that show that transition from darkness into light or a sense of hope, you know, that elevating that hope in this world right. and um, making a difference. That's what I love to do. It brings me no more joy than to be that difference in the world. No, it looks like you're doing what you should and you, you're doing what makes you happy. And I think at the end of the day, if anyone chooses a career that they're not happy with, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Definitely choose a different <laughs> path because if you're doing something just to, you know, get by and whatever, and then you're like, well, I'm not happy with what I'm doing, then it's not, it becomes a job. But if you're doing something that you enjoy, it's, you know, it's a, ha it's a hobby. I think that, I think when hearing about that, I think I was in, you know, as a young kid, you're always hearing this. You're like, you know, choose a job that you like. It won't be a job. It'll be a choice. Like, you know, as teachers tell yeah. you, they're like, we're here by choice. We're not here because we're forced to. But then I've also heard teachers tell me I'm forced to be here because of you kids. But I'm like, you know, every, yeah. oh, to, to one's their own, right? But uh, I think, I think a, the, and, and I see this perception. I'm, I'm going to take teachers as an example. Teachers are amazing educators. Don't get me wrong. Like yeah. all my teachers, anyone that taught me any dime of something, I'm always grateful for them because I feel like they're a teacher. But teachers in the school system, I've definitely noticed teachers that were happy every day and teachers that were sad every day coming into work, that were depressed. The teachers that would tend to be more like upset with their work, that were like not, there's, because not everyone can be a teacher, right? Not everyone can do yeah. 
And that's the main reason this podcast started. It was like, I wanted to find out what different career options are out there in the world, right? I want to mm-hmm. know like what other careers are out there because what if I'm not happy with being an aerospace engineer? What if I'm not happy being a production manager? And then I have other options. I've already talked to people about. I've already learned about this. There's already connections that I've created yeah. that you talked about in these different fields. And it's like, you know yeah. what? Maybe I'm going to give that a try. And if I need advice, I have someone that I can ask if I need mm-hmm. help in moving forward in this career. And I think yeah. watching teachers grow because you go into school every day for eight hours right until from kindergarten to grade 12 you're doing that every single day you could tell the teacher that wanted to be there and the teacher that didn't want to be there and you yeah. can tell the difference in education that they were teaching the teacher that wanted to be there their class was a lot more fun a lot more entertaining and you learned way more the teacher that didn't want to be there you were stuck in there you hated yourself for being there they hated themselves for being there everyone in that room just hated being in that environment. And I think when people talk about negative energy and positive energy, I think people feel that more in school than they would anywhere else. Kids felt more positive energy when they were at the school classroom was more welcoming. The teacher was welcoming and there was negative Mm -hmm. energy. You literally felt it physically. It was like, wow, I'm I'm feeling a sensation that I haven't felt before. It's like, oh, there's there's negativity here. There's positivity here. And I get, they're like, oh, this is hippie talk, Mm -hmm. but it's not hippie talk because you can feel it Mm -hmm. from people. You can feel it from the environment. You can feel it from your situation that you're in. And I think people don't realize that. And it's really cool yeah. to me that now as I'm thinking about this, as I'm getting older, I'm like, wow, you know what? The, you know, there's no, there is some truth to what people say in everything. Not everything yeah. has to be a lie because there can definitely be some truth to it. So even myths and legends have some truth to them. And there's a reason why yeah. the myths and legends started. So yeah, I think that's absolutely. Really yes. I agree. Yeah. We are our own, I call it like a power plant, you know? Mm-hmm. Like we emit, we emote, we, we also have receiving receptors, you know, uh, and it kind of going in and out, in and out, in and out. So sometimes we're also helping to evolve our family's conversations that have been passed on. Because sometimes we don't even realize we've taken on, say, like our parents' way of seeing the world. Like, oh, yeah, that's okay. But then... As we grow and learn, you're like, oh, wait, I got that from my mother. I can transform that. No, of course. Choose something different. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. I think a lot of the way I look at the world when I was younger was through my parents' eyes. It was just a younger version of my parents' eyes, right? The stuff that saw better, I guess, a little more clear. But I guess I I realized (laughs) everything that I thought, everything I did, it was always like, what would my dad do? What would my mom do? And I don't think that's a wrong way of thinking about it when you're younger because you're just trying to survive. No, not at all. You're trying to, you know, those are the people you, I look up to my parents all the time. I think they're phenomenal human beings. I think what they did is amazing. The way they came here, the way they've raised me, I find that spectacular. I love my parents. And I think... because I idolized them and I think growing up to like be like them and like trying to see the world like they did. I think that's a lot of kids do. They, mm-hmm. you know, they pick a person that they idolize, they pick a person that they look up to then they start seeing the world from that point of view. But then I think a lot of people don't realize is you're not going to get successful. You're not going to go far in life until you start to realize with your own eyes, your own perspective, you start making your own communications, mm-hmm. connections, you start making your own realizations, own conclusions. That is when you become more successful. Then that's not when your yes. parents because, because your parents have already achieved what they wanted to at this point and they had you and now their hopes and dreams are riding on to see what you do they're just and they're watching you they're not watching themselves grow up they don't want to see another themselves grow up they want to see a totally different human being that they created grow up and i don't think a lot of people 
And I think people realize that, but I think a lot of people don't realize that because they're too afraid to go against what their parents believe. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. going against what your parents believe might be the right thing to do. It and people don't. Really, I'm not. I'm not saying kids don't like don't behave with their ki- parents, but definitely question what they ask you to do. Sometimes it might help. Yeah. You. But yeah. Yeah. I think that's my yeah. that. It sounds like you have a great relationship with your parents. And I just yeah. have to say, I did one of the beautiful things about seeing my mother's growth in her life. Um, it was this beautiful arc and it would create a great film. Right. She went from being so restrictive, so my way or the highway, this is the way it's supposed to be the church, God, you know, roof and be seen and not heard. <laughs> To being the most open, accepting, loving, literally she became a saint in in my view because she was so loving and everybody loved being around her. She was just so open. Right. I said, mom, how did you do it? She goes, well, because of you kids, she goes, I had the choice to either be right, that it was my way or the highway, or I could let it be between you and your creator. And if I kept going my way, I was going to push you all out of my lives. And it was more important for me to have you in my life than to be right. So I'd rather be happy than be right. You know, that'd be a great movie because I think a lot of parents are like that. And I think people, Mm -hmm. I think, I think 90% of the parents are like that. I'm not making a generalization or anything because I've seen Mm -hmm. it in my lifetime with my friends. I've seen it with people that I've known, people that I've not known. I've heard stories and you always realize it's always the parent at the beginning have these strict rules. They have these guidelines that you have to follow. This is it. This is it that you have to be home at this time. You have to do this. This is this. This is you believe in this, this right? They have these guidelines. And that's when you're younger, right? And I understand that having a certain, set of rules should be should exist but i I think the way they go about it sometimes is the wrong way but that's the way they were taught right that's it that's all they know and if you think about it i mean at least for my mom i know that she was coming from love because she was worried about my eternal soul salvation she didn't care if i got a few bruises from being corporal punishment or whatever but who cares if your eternal soul is going to burn in hellfire and damnation. She was saving me from spending eternity with, in her mind from Satan and the devil. Yeah. No, I, I get that. It's man. twisted. I, it's twisted. Not, it is twisted, but I think, I think it comes from a place that, like you said, place of love. And I, I realize that even more now when yeah. I, when I talk to people like my parents, like when we have conversations, like, you know, they're very religious people. And I know a lot of parents, people that are very religious, you know, these conversations, they have this ideology that, you know, like, but I think my parents are still a lot, younger in terms of like they grew up in this era and they realized okay <laughs> sorry hey, brother. that is my brother he's talking okay. about the indian, he's okay. talking about the indian farmers protest that's happening right now anyway sorry oh oh in canada yeah in canada uh sorry oh really yeah it's it's getting really big i think because uh, our actually ndp leader is sikh and so he's bringing, mm-hmm. it's, he's highlighting it a lot more than a lot of people don't want it to be. And I think it's very cool. I actually yeah. had a conversation with his brother on Clubhouse and I look up oh. to him. And me and my brother look up to those guys a lot. And oh, I had a conversation. So cool. Clubhouse gave me that opportunity. Yeah, I'm really curious. I want to know more. I went red. I went red while I was talking to him. It was very embarrassing. I was like, oh my God, I've, I've never been speechless in my life. This is like meeting one of my favorite people of all that, like politicians. You know, when you meet a politician. Sorry, I was continuing my train of thought. Uh, so the thing, yeah. the thing I think people don't realize. It's okay. 
the people I don't think people realize is that you know parent, parents have these guides set rules and and they grow it. You're right. It's an arc. It is an arc. It, you know they they peak when you're in your childhood. They're at it's they're at their max, right? They're at their oh this and this, and then they start coming back into their own childhood. What they were like, what they realized, what you know what happened, what they wish was different, and then they start realizing you know okay our kids are growing. I can see what they're at. I had the same kind of struggles that they did. You know it's time I start listening, and then that declined to you know finding that inner peace themselves that they couldn't find you know a lot of parents are afraid for their kids in this world it's a dangerous world out there oh yeah it's not, it's not easy out there i and know i always hard. say life is dangerous no one escapes alive exactly and oh everyone dies at the end anyway it's <laughs> <laughs> a good one uh, i think and i i think um i, I think a lot of parents would that be a good t-shirt that would be a good t-shirt i would buy one I would buy one. I'd be like, no, it's inevitable. You can't help it. And I think, and I think, yeah, I think parents are just scared and I think they grow with their kids. I think the parents that are willing yeah. to learn and stuff like Definitely. that, that they, that they want their kids in their lives, they grow with mm-hmm. them. They don't just push mm-hmm. them away. I think growing with their children is kind of the reason why they come into this world, why we have new generations is to grow mm-hmm. and to learn and be more educated. Do you think, do you think when the first Neanderthal and whatever homo sapiens came to this world and one of the children is probably the one that created this fire, this thing called fire. And everyone's like, Oh my God, my kid's a genius. I, I swear that mom was probably screaming. My kid's a genius and to every other Neanderthal in the world. And was like, you know, watch this. Somebody else was probably saying, Oh, yeah. a witch or a demon or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And Everybody sure, has different perspectives, right? I'm, I'm sure that this man, this this man or woman that created this fire and everyone else was like, oh my God, fire. No, he's a witchcraft. Magic. And they're like, what? but it's warm, you know, it's good. It's like, it's uh, yeah. and they're like, okay, never mind. We, we accept it. You know, they, they grow to accept fire. Think about it. We have light everywhere. We have all yeah. these other things. But going back to when there was fire, when there was like, when they probably first created their bow and arrow, when they created, you know, a hammer mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You don't realize that this was probably viewed as ambiguous and like weird mystery that exists in this world. It's like, what is a hammer? What is this? Oh, you can nail? What's nail? Like you can create a house. Yeah. Like, oh, we can have clothing now? What? This is so unique to me. And I think everything becomes a weird, it's a weird sensation when it's yeah. first introduced. I think by the end of the day, everyone comes to realize it's like, oh, it's no different than what we are now. It's just an, evolu- it's just an evolution of what we yeah. can become, something better. Your story of fire reminded me of something that in my journey to understand God, I just remember in the Bible, it says, if you want to know me, God, study my creation. So I started studying, just looking at how a fly of flowers, a flower, know what kind of, what kind of flower it is, a rose, uh, a daisy, you know, they're just different colors, so many different colors, the trees, so many different types of trees. And then fire is fire, no matter where fire is, if it's a candle or if it's in a fireplace or if it's a fire on the hillside burning down a down or, or burning a witch at the fire, you know, and then water is water, whether I'm, yeah, I mean, you can use it that with anything. My point being that you can use anything for good or you could use anything for bad for not so good things like burning a witch (laughs) (laughs) or drowning somebody, you know? Yeah. Or drinking water to hydrate yourself. And so the same thing with religion or spirituality is I'm not religious anymore, but I am spiritual. And I do know that 
uh, connection and of spirit and that there is you look at nature it's beautiful and you see science and the design like the golden ratio in everything in you know it's just beautiful so i um definitely believe in that no yeah there's a lot of people believe in different things like i said before i appreciate it it's just a different perspective if you ever talk to a person that believes in science alone like science is you know the true thing mm-hmm. their their perspectives are crazy it's like wow you know you know what you, your point of view i understand it like, i get where you're coming from i understand why you believe what you believe and i get that or a person that's uh, buddhist or a person that's hindu a person of different like i'm telling you every perspective makes sense if you're open-minded if you're open-minded, every perspective and every way that they're coming from has actual yeah. logic to it. There is logic to it. And I think people that are yeah. closed-minded don't realize that everything, there is logic, but you just have to think about it from a different way. Why do you think, think about an iPhone. Like, okay, you know, when the person created mm-hmm. a laptop, right? They're like, that's it, you know, just computer. That's it. We're just going to have a flat yeah. screen. We're just going to, that's it. The screen, everything's going to be together. Nothing like, you know, we're going to create this, this, and that's it, right? No, there's going to be nothing, nothing better than this will ever come, right? We're, we have it. So, okay, then some, someone comes with that all in one, you know, Apple, and they're like, okay, everything's in one screen now. Wow, how'd you do that? That's crazy. Oh, but if you could do it in a screen, what if we can make it smaller? Okay, first iPhone comes yeah. out. Wow, it's a screen. You can do everything. It's such That's crazy. And now it's evolution on top of top. And I think pe- if people didn't think outside the box, if people didn't realize that this kind of stuff could exist and they weren't thinking like diff- difference, if they weren't thinking differently, we would mm-hmm. not be in the point that we are today. So I think, I think thinking differently is yes. definitely the key to everything. And that's the key to everything <laughs> is one step at a time doing today what i know to do and before you know it you've created a lot of films won some awards like yeah. what so it's just one step at a time you know and being in alignment with your truth and your passion what you what you love you know the mm-hmm. thing that i'm learning most about this oh the, i've done like 16 episodes now and i think the one thing i've learned the most from this is if you found self-confidence and if you found mm-hmm. who you are anything that you do any career that you do you're going to be successful or any like it's yeah. become it's become such a thing that i've at this point i've just realized is if you can find out who you are what you are what you provide to this world or what to, what you can provide to yourself yes. or to yourself mm-hmm. most importantly and have self-confidence Wow, you can go places and you'll be far ahead of anyone else in this world. I think if kids started, I've, I swear, if there was a class to teach self-confidence and to teach self-improvement mm-hmm. in schools, we would notice our yeah. generation take a giant step forward to a better future. And I mean, if you learn to have self-confidence and believe in yourself yes. at a young age, why do you think people become successful at such a young age? It's because yeah. of the fact that they believe in themselves, they have that self-confidence and they're not afraid to put themselves out there and to ask for help. Yes need it that's it you're done you're already 50 steps ahead of everyone else even people that are in their late 60s 70s or 40s and like 30s like they they're not even yes. at that stage and you're already ahead of them yes. so that's what i believe yes uh do you know anyone who else would be interested in being on well, the podcast i do know a chef that may be interested in being interviewed now i'm very i excited. certainly can ask her Yay. yes <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been great getting to yes. know you and thank you thank for inviting you so me to come on. 
to yeah no of course when i heard you talk on clubhouse it was wild i was like this is it she has to be on my podcast like i have to reach out this is amazing it's gonna be a really interesting and it was more interesting i could continue to talk to you for multiple hours and still learn more because there's just so much in your life that happened that i could learn from and i'm sure a lot of my friends are going through the same things so it's just like oh wow this is really interesting and i started listening more because i feel like a lot of my friends are going through that like you know death is inevitable right and losing someone that you love and someone that's close to you Mm -hmm. and i'm getting to that age you know they say what's before the age of 30 you're going to lose multiple people that you've loved right and i'm getting close to that age it's like mm-hmm. you know it's hard and learning from people that have lost and and mm-hmm. thrived from it it's it's a, it's a totally different atmosphere mm-hmm. so yeah um yes i'm very comfortable with grief if you yeah. ever if you ever need you know support in that yeah. area because we will always have somebody to support who's going through grief right. or we may be experienced grief for our, our own and i'm it's something that if you ever need to reach out to me, I'm here. No, of course. I'm definitely going to reach out. You have a lot of insight and I'm excited to learn more. And thank you so much. And I will contact you about you Chef so Nini. Much. I'm excited to meet okay. her. Okay. Yes, I'll talk to gonna... her and let her know she, she has an opportunity. Thank you for listening to our weekly episode of Stability, the podcast, hosted by Hassan Ashraf. For the latest news on Stability Podcast, please follow our Instagram at Stability Podcast or our Twitter at Stability underscore pod.